the call and response, the regular patterning of a game of gin, the discarding and picking up, and then the ability to declare, I have won gin and smack them down on the tables. And that kind of becomes a refrain of the play. everyone and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen and we are back from a long and wonderful journey through the plays of David Henry Huang, or at least four of the plays of David Henry Huang. Yes, in the order of the season, if you are listening along with us in our season, we had just finished our themed month, which was, as Jacob just said, a uh, a study in David Henry Huang plays. And we are returning to our kind of regular, regularly scheduled programming of <laughs> jumping all over the theater world for our scripts. That's right. Yes, we we try our very level best to do a, a huge a huge variety, as the word's already been used, but a hugely different sort of group of scripts. We try to make sure that what we're talking about is representative of lots of different kinds of scripts and eras of scripts that make up American theater, for the most part, American theater. And uh, today we have sort of taken our left turn out of David Henry Huang month and into the time machine to yeah. travel back to one of the great awarded plays uh, one of the great two-handers of the American stage. Yes, yes. Today we are talking about The Gin Game by Donald L. Coburn, which is a play, uh, we'll, we'll get into some of the context of it, but a 70s play, a great two-hander play. Um, a lot of famous folks have kind of uh, uh, done... done uh, very, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very auspicious versions of this play. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it has. It's It's been a um, star vehicle is not quite correct because that, that usually applies to like the thing that makes a star. But it's been sort of a play that's been star driven. I will say it that way, uh, at least at the kind of major professional theater level, as uh, actors who are sort of entering the, let's call it the winter of their acting careers, take on one of the great two-hander scripts for older actors. Uh, and it'll be interesting to talk about how how this play exists in today's world and what it means for today's world being a play of a different era. Yeah, a different era and, and, and a focusing on you know, uh, a demographic that doesn't often get focus in theater, certainly not in, in the way of like a two-hander where it's just, it's just two, two folks of, of, of a, uh, an older age getting to have the whole play to themselves. So yeah, I'm excited to get to talk about it. Yeah, right. These characters are not uh, the, the, like the spindly kind grandpa or grandmother characters, right? These are fully fleshed humans on a journey uh, in relationship with each other, in negotiation with each other. Uh, and, and, and theater, like many kinds of art, uh, is, 
it, it, it has problems in representation. I think that's not a surprise to anyone to hear that. And given these fully fleshed parts to actors who are in their late 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, those kinds of roles are not as common as they ought to be. And the American stage is not as representative of that age group as it surely ought to be. And so for that reason, Gin Game is a really wonderful script for its presentation of fully fleshed humans who are old. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 in similar ways to like the way you kind of line up uh, Shakespeare plays um, and kind of uh, line them up in terms of like the longevity of your acting <laughs> dreams. Like, you know, I'm going to play so-and-so at this age and so-and-so at this age and so-and-so at the age after that, whether that's Hamlet or Lady Macbeth or uh, King Lear. Um, this this play kind of occupies one of those uh, those kind of uh, marking stones along an actor's journey. Yeah, well, we, we will get to a, a great conversation, I'm sure, on a great script as we go. Between now and then, however, I would like to address your attention to patreon.com slash no script podcast. All one word, patreon.com slash all one word, no script podcast. That's where you can find our Patreon page. It's where folks can come to financially support the show. We have a wonderful, fantastic, amazing, generous, awesome group of patrons right now who through their financial support make doing this podcast feasible for us we'd love to do it we'd love to talk about scripts we love to have these conversations with each other with you out there uh, it's just not a free endeavor for us to do making a podcast is not only time intensive but uh there are finances involved believe me uh that <laughs> that would make it impossible for us to do if it weren't for the folks who support us financially so if you're one of those folks thank you thank Thank you. Thank you. That means you believe in what we're doing here and you want to see it continue. So we're so grateful for that support. If that's not you yet, really, uh, I would like to ask you to think about it. It is a a, a low commitment in terms of money. Uh, The lowest tier that you can sign up for is a dollar a month. We wanted to make very much sure that supporting this podcast was not something only uh, available to folks who could afford a significant chunk of change. That uh, at the dollar a month level, $12 a year, you can become a supporter of the show. And that is really incredibly useful for us. So please, I hope you feel like you're getting at least $12 a year, $1 a month return on the uh, time investment that we know you already spend with us. So if you haven't supported us yet, please consider it. Patreon.com slash no script podcast. Yes, thank you so much to our patrons who are already over on patreon.com slash no script podcast. We will see you over there. And now, back to the script. Here we go. We're going to jump in. I'm going to give you just a little bit of context for the play, as is our practice on the show. Um, A little bit of context for Donald L. Coburn, who is the playwright of this play. And by a little bit of context, I do truly mean a little bit of context. (laughs) Because, I don't know, Mr. Coburn, if you're listening to this, awesome. Hi. Um, But in my limited amount of research, I have pretty much just found this play by by Donald Coburn. Um, This play, The Gin Game, was a very... uh, uh, was a smash hit for him. Um, he he wrote it in uh, 19... 
or well, the, the the production that it came out was in 1976, so somewhere in the the kind of mid 1970s. Um, it came out in L.A. in an L.A. production in 1976. It also uh, had a, a presentation at the Actors Theater of Louisville, um, and then it went to Broadway in 1977. And uh, that that production starred uh, Hume Cronin and uh, Jessica Tandy, uh, a notable uh, married couple um, that that um, that were, were actors at the time. And Jessica Tandy is a, a quite famous actress, as is uh, Cronin. And that production uh, won Jessica Tandy the Tony Award and won uh, Coburn the Pulitzer Prize for this play in 1978. So if you're going to write one play, might as well make it a Pulitzer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I was about to say a bit of a one-hit wonder, but it's really more than a bit. (laughs) Right, right. Um, of course, the play had a, a, a much longer life after that. It, it captivated audiences, and partially due to the fact that, um, uh, so so that 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 uh, bro- original Broadway production that I just mentioned had a married couple playing the roles, and and while uh, subsequent productions didn't necessarily have married couples, they were oftentimes uh, kind of known couples or people who were known to work together playing the main roles of of the of the script um uh, the uh broadway revival in 1997 had charles derning and julie harris the tell there was a television production that starred dick van dyke and mary tyler moore of course of the uh dick van dyke show fame and then the second broadway revival was very recently just back in 2015 and that production starred james earl jones and cecily tyson so this kind of uh culture around the show continued to build uh, around having these kind of well-known uh, actors who have played uh, uh, couples or have just been working together playing these roles. I should mention that the Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore production was a television production for PBS. The second Broadway revival was uh, James O. Jones and Cecily Tyson. So um, this this play continues to have a life, um, continues to uh, be done, and a slight adaptation, I believe only slight ad- adaptations were made for the television production in 2003, and it continues to be produced, continues to be sought after for these sorts of... Um, yeah, uh, uh, actors who are known to play uh, play together well and and play off of each other well to k- lean into these roles as as you said in the in the introduction perhaps in the winter of their acting years to get to to engage uh, these these uh, really deep and rich characters. Yeah, yeah. I actually have seen a production of this show. There was a production done by a professional theater in Fayetteville, Arkansas, the Smokehouse Players, who I had worked with before, and I got to see their show. It was sometime in the past five years. The years start to run together a little bit when you place a pandemic in the middle right. of them. Yeah. So I couldn't tell you exactly what year, but it was within the past five years I saw a great little production of this show. Uh, so that tells you a little bit about its continued life, that it's happening on that level as well. This play, as we've mentioned a number of times, is a two-hander for older actors. The character ages, as specified by the playwright, are uh, the, the two characters are Weller, who is in the 70 to 75 age range, and Fonzia, who is in the 65 to 70 uh, age range, so slightly younger than Weller. But again, these are these are two older people, old enough so that they live in a you know in a senior home of some sort, um, where there is some care provided, some uh, you 
you know, medical help provided, medicine is discussed at various points throughout the script. It play takes place over a couple of weekends. There's four scenes about, covers about three weeks in the spring in the 70s. The setting of our play is the porch, basically, or the sunroom, uh, sort of full of plants of this retirement home. And there are these two characters, uh, basically, over the course of this whole play, play a number of games of gin or gin rummy together at the card table on this porch. Now, of course, much more goes into it than that. But that is sort of the basic framework and structure for what goes on. Diving a little more into detail, at the very beginning of the play, we see Weller, the older gentleman, sitting on the porch playing solitaire uh, by himself. He is interrupted by Fonzia, who comes in from, or comes out, I guess, technically, from inside uh, where Visitor's Day is happening. This is a Sunday afternoon. Everyone who is living at this home is getting visitors of their family and friends come to see them. And uh, Fonzia does not have any visitors, neither does Weller. And so they end up together on this porch sunroom area and uh, they, they don't know each other very well to start of the play. This is a very low context relationship early on. Uh, this is because Fonzie is new to this nursing home and uh, Weller himself has not been there for an especially long time but several months longer uh, than Fonzie has. Um, Weller is the card shark of the two of them at least in his mind. Right. He believes that he uh, he's played gin his whole life, he's played a number of other card games, loves it. He considers himself an excellent gin player. Fonzia really has no idea even... He, she sort of understands the rules, but she gets them explained to her by Weller as they begin to play cards together. And this, of course, also functions as an explanation of the rules for the audience. Um, gin, of course, is a game where you arrange the cards in your hand by drawing from a pile or picking up from the discard pile until you have a certain uh, different kinds of patterns of arrangements in your hand, which points you say, Jin, whatever cards your partner's stuck with, they get you get those as points. You play to a certain point level. Um, what, what ends up happening, though, is Weller, the card shark, as he thinks of himself, gets soundly beaten at Jin, game after game after game. And it, well, this will be interesting for us to talk about, but it's not my impre- initial impression that this is like some sort of hustle on behalf of Fonzia, where she really has been a a deeply talented gin player all along and has been hiding that fact from Weller in order to humiliate him. It does seem to be somewhat related to, I don't know if it's exactly luck or her sort of natural gift that she never knew she had for the strategy of this game. For whatever reason, she soundly beats him at gin a number of times and uh, that ends the first scene. They come back together a week later to play gin together again um, and she soundly beats him again game after game after game. That ends act one at, with the uh, sort of an explosion on behalf of Weller. His temper gets the better of them. He flares up. He tosses the table. He basically throws an enormous temper tantrum, uh, severely frightening Fonzia. The next scene, which starts Act 2, is the next day. Uh, he comes out to apologize to her and tries to convince her to play gin with him again. 
Um, and the, the same thing happens as she continues to beat him. He there, There's a number of sort of different uh, funny sort of paths that this line begins to take. For example, for example, Weller begins to like say things like, I'm just going to toss this card in the discard pile and it's going to be the card she needs. Watch. And he'll toss one in the card. And of course, that is the one that she needs. And it sort of goes on like that again. She ends up beating him uh, at Jin so much so that she causes him to sort of have a, uh, uh, a meltdown about it. This time, the meltdown is not so... Uh, so much explosion, angry violence, as much as him uh, badgering and needling and snapping and being sort of generally cruel to Fonzie enough that she sort of has an explosion at his reaction and he e- exits into the building to end the first scene of Act 2. The next scene is the final uh, scene of the play. It is a week later, again, a Sunday, where they come together. Um, now, of course, as this all is happening, it's not like Fonzie is just sort of willingly walking into this verbal abuse. She's constantly, at this point in the play, not wanting to play Jin, telling him that his temper gets the better of him, that he scares her, that she doesn't deserve this abuse, this verbal abuse on his behalf, uh, not wanting to play. And he continually talks her into it by means of various tactics. This happens again, of course, in the last scene. She doesn't want to play Jin. He talks her into playing Jin. She soundly, soundly beats him at playing Jin to the point where finally he really, really explodes this time, smacks his cane all around, um, uh, knocks the the table over uh he really frightens her um and exits into the building with uh the the quote is has at the door his shoulders slump and as a sleepwalker he exits slowly final line of the play is Fonzie is seeing him exit into the building and saying nearly whimpering is the stage of direction oh no uh, and that's the end of the play. So that's just sort of the general framework of the cards. Now, of course, in between all of the cards, they're discussing many things. It's not just a game of or a play of gin games, right. despite the title. They discuss the situation at the home where they both live. They discuss the way their families have worked out. They both reveal that they've been lying about their own financial situation, about their relationships with their families at the end. They have revelations about themselves, especially dealing with um, the, the kind of running theme through the play of what luck is and how luck actually works and the way that we make choices that play out in our lives that uh, we call luck sometimes. And of course, both Fonzia and Weller have painful things that have happened in their family that sort of fit within that lens and get negotiated into that conversation around cards. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to kind of to kind of uh, talk about that that theme of luck um, uh, and and luck's uh, either either the blaming of luck or the attributing uh, to it of luck. But I I, I kind of want to start off with the thing that like the the play is titled for and that like r- rides us through much of the play because it's and the, the it's... thing that you'd remember. I mean, right. the, the the gin the playing of gin really is the the centerpiece of the play. It's true. It is also the low-hanging fruit of the play <laughs> because because <laughs> there are there is so much more and depth to the characters that the Jin game is representing. But let's just talk just a little bit about the the use of the negotiation of the Jin game to bring out the deeper uh, themes of these characters because the way it's used as kind of the 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 impetus or the crucible around which these characters meet each other around which these characters interact with each other around which these characters you know tick each other off and get information from each other is a truly kind of masterful um 
it's it's like just adjacent to prop negotiation, right? That we we talk about before, but it's also a lot like it also has this sort of meta feel to it about this this larger game because it's not just negotiating cards; it's winning or losing a game. Yeah, well, and it, and it's interesting to pick this game particularly too. You know, as you sort of dig into it, uh, card games are a a regular feature uh, in the theater scene, in film. I mean, you see a lot of stuff that especially negotiates around poker, but but even solitaire, or even like you imagine, um, a Long Day's Journey into Night. They end up uh, the, the the father and the younger son Edmund. They sit together and play cards drunkenly late into the night. I mean, it is it's sort sort of a regular feature of the stage um, and, and what's interesting about picking the game of gin I think is uh, maybe two parts although not to say these are the only two parts you'll probably have more but I think of one the 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 fact that luck plays uh, such a role in gin um, now there's of course there's strategy there's decisions you can be good at gin and win all the time it's not like go fish or something right or war which is all luck there's a skill element there's a strategy element to gin of course but there is also to some degree a luck element in the game of gin which rears its ugly head early on as Fonzia ends up going out really was what it called right when you have got gin really quickly in some of those hands basically because she's been dealt a hand that's almost complete already so there's that aspect of it, which is interesting and, and I think relates to some of the larger negotiations that they have. But what I also think is interesting about the game of gin is the handing back and forth of cards. Um, right? You think about a game like poker, uh, at the, there's, there's the negotiation between each other on the bidding, but there's no passing back and forth of cards. Uh, there's no, I'm going to give you something that may potentially benefit you and disbenefit me, right? You're just trying to bet on how good your hand and the hand in the middle in combination are going to be compared to the other hands on the table. And so a lot of the interchange gameplay in poker comes in the betting stage. And you can really see that if you watch poker in a play or on film. That is where a lot of the drama comes. In gin, the drama comes when someone takes a card out of their hand, the card they're going to discard, and lays it down. And there is the opportunity for the other person for that to be the card that they needed. And for you to try to hold on to a card long enough that it doesn't benefit the other person. You can see the cards that they discard. So there's a little more interplay in the actual cards in benefiting someone towards winning or losing, which I think is so interesting in this game because it's just the two of them playing against each other. Which allows it to be this this sort of thing that can get under your skin even more, especially under Weller's skin, uh, the, the sort of like... Uh, the the improbability in his mind that that the the degree of luck that is given to or that that Fonzia experiences um in his the cards that he lays down the cards that he doesn't get from her um kind of works his way and and gets like just under under his nails and like it irks him to the point that that it drives him to some some pretty uh pretty large revelations about himself but also some heightened anger. 
Yeah, right. And I, I mentioned in the synopsis and one of the, the scenes that I love so much is when he sort of tests the fates and the odds and the card gods, I guess, uh, in playing this game as he's sort of trying to keep his temper under control by sort of playing it off as humor or shock or disbelief at what's happening. He, he's he got the line, uh, uh, he says, OK, I, now I'll discard and you'll pick it up, won't you? And she does pick it up. I did. I told you she would. Didn't I say she would? Later, he says, uh, now I'll discard. It's going to be the exact card Fonzia wants. And he discards and she picks up the card. What did I tell you? She controls my mind. Right. Right. And then later on, he like pretends to lay one down and then takes it back and lays down another one instead. There's all sorts of that sort of negotiation that can happen with the game. So, yeah, I I, I agree that it's it's definitely a a well-chosen uh, amongst the card games, a well-chosen card game, similarly to um, uh, something like, oh, I'm forgetting the really famous three-card Mon- three-card Monty uh, game uh, in 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 other places. So yeah, it's it's a very applicable card game that that makes negotiation interesting. I think it's also interesting. I don't I don't actually know enough about this to really stay on it for too long. But uh, the 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 choice of playing gin rummy versus something like bridge or something like that. It's a game that can be played by two people. Um, and it's it's a game that uh, that, that has some sort some uh, associated history with it. So it's interesting that that it's that it's uh, a game that is possible to be played by just the two of them as they have found each other basically alone in this uh, care home together. Well, and the other thing that uh, really works dramaturgically about Jin, if if you're the playwright, is that it has such a climactic victory, right? You you say Jin and you smack your cards down on the table. I mean, actually, it that's one of the things that like a game like Go Fish has to its benefit, right? Is there's a verbal, it's not quite tactile, but it's it's very graspable method to the game where you say, "Do you have any blank?" and they say, "Go fish." The call and response, the regular patterning of a game of Jin, the discarding and picking up and then the ability to declare I have won gin and smack them down on the tables and that kind of becomes a refrain of the play I've got gin gin yes I do have gin right that all the different ways that Fonzia can say I've won with the word gin and all the different subtexts that that has as she's in sort of uh, wild how fun belief that she's won at the beginning and then that sort of turns into I can't believe I'm continuing to win as the game goes on and and of course what that means to um to weller on the other side of that hearing that refrain gin gin over and over as she wins game after game after game and also like raises stakes every time for us as the audience who are kind of constantly waiting for something other than Fonzia winning to happen each time you're like okay surely this is the time that something changes to the point that there's even a point where she purposefully allows uh Weller to win and 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 we're all like oh 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 maybe this is it but in fact we is found out pretty quickly that she has just uh, given him the cards he needed to win to try to make him feel better about how much he's losing 
And and the the routineness. The other thing that that really works dramaturgically about Jin, I guess, is that there's a number of hands in any one game. Right? You get Jin a couple of times before you actually win the game. And so that that sort of level of there being so many different victories all coming back to back helps to explain, I think, a little bit why Weller reacts so strongly to getting so soundly beat. The improbability of losing game after game after game like that lends a little bit of credence, but I would say generally, and I, I would assume this is Coburn's intention, uh, not enough, right? I do think as the audience, part of our experience of these gin games is a wondering, a pondering at what Weller's problem is, like why he takes this so personally, why he explodes in such a way that he does. Which kind of starts to lead us towards what those deeper themes are and what this game between them represents at this moment in their life. Um, uh, we, we, we learn lots about them, especially the, the kind of early thing we learn about both of them is their relationship with their families. And, uh, you know, some of it isn't all true. We discover by the end of the play that, that there's been some lies shared. But early on, we know that the two of them are left somewhat alone here. Um, uh, early on in the play, Weller says that he's estranged from his, uh, children, uh, that he had, uh, 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 that, that he and his wife had divorced long ago. Also, Fonzia said that, uh, she is divorced from her husband and her son lives in Denver, which is not here. I don't know exactly where this, this particular care home is. Um, uh, but, but it's not, but Denver is meant to be far away. Um, and, uh, and so, so you have this sort of sense of aloneness in them, but also this sense, certainly in Weller, as long as we started there with his frustration, um, of a disappointment that he has about being proved that he is not skilled at this game, which is where the theme of luck comes in. He over and over says that she's just getting lucky, that Fonzie is just getting lucky, that um, just a run of bad luck. Um, and, and when he tells his real life stories as well, he says, I got unlucky in business partners, etc., which leads to one of the more potent critiques that Fonzie levels at him. That if it wasn't you were unlucky in this, it would be something else, as long as you don't have to face the fact that you weren't good enough, that you weren't skilled enough at 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 either business or at this game of cards to actually succeed at it. Um, which is an interesting way to take the luck train, right? The, the, the theme of luck and uh, bring it into about not just the game, but also uh, the, especially Weller's, uh, Weller's unwillingness to kind of grapple with his own failings in his past. Yeah, well, and 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 he he expresses a number of them. You've mentioned the the divorce with his wife. He's lost touch with his kids. He doesn't have any money left because of he says he got unlucky in choosing business partner partners. And basically, Fonzie's accusation very much towards the end of the play. I mean, we're just pages from the end of the play at this point. Is it, it may not be luck, Weller. Maybe it's your freaking bad decisions. The emphasis of the word freaking is mine. Um, the they use my 
much stronger word as we go into that scene. And this is a play of an age and of a style in which using the F word carries a lot of weight. And so finally, at the end of the play, when when Fonzia levels this accusation, now Weller's used abusive language with her all throughout, but he hasn't said the F word. And they reach the end of the play and she says, maybe it's your bad judgment that puts you in these bad situations that lost you your money. Maybe you're not the person you think you are. And that's finally when Weller really loses it in the interpersonal part beyond just the gin game and he tells her to shut her effing mouth, right? Now, all of this, 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 the, um, the leap I'm about to make is not as spelled out in the text as the business partner connection with bad luck is. Um, but I think it's there for the taking, right? We, early on in the play, as you say, we learn that Weller's wife divorced him uh, and that they've lost touch over the years. All we say, all we learn is it happened many years ago. I'm divorced. And then there's this little line. And their mother didn't exactly encourage a close relationship between us. She moved and the children to another city. Uh, And he claims that the reason why this was able to happen is, quote, the courts gave the women a great deal of power in a divorce settlement. There's very little I could do about it. Later on in the play, after he's exploded and yelled at her, Fonzia tells him after some time has passed, this is the scene that's the next day, she says, I don't think you realize how much your temper affects people. You start to put together a portrait of who Weller is outside of this porch. And you start to wonder things like, what kind of a husband and father was he really? If he explodes and breaks things when he loses the game of gin, if he got involved with a business partner who, you know, leaves him high and dry financially, um, was he the kind of person who, while, while, right, so he presents the story from his point of view that their mother divorced him and ran off with the kids and the courts gave her all the power. But, you know, he's not inclined to tell the story from a different person's point of view, which might have right. been he was this sort of husband and father who screamed verbal abuses at his family and lost his temper a lot, and they ended up leaving him alone in nursing home. Now, I don't know that that's the case, but I, I wonder about the inference of the connection between those things and this idea of bad luck and blaming other people for your problems because that is exactly what Weller does when discussing his divorce and the loss of his family. Yeah, it's interesting. Throughout the play, you slowly get more and more of the picture of Weller. And 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 so, so like, initially... Initially, when you see him, he's this kind of kind person who reaches out to Fonzia, who is who arrives on 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 stage the first scene, like crying at the fact that she is here at this place alone. All of her friends are at a different care home in town. Her family is far away, and so they kind of find each other and befriend each other. It's kind of this sweet uh, 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 befriending over a game. But then, like the and then even the first scene where he kind of freaks out at the card game, you're like, okay, that was an overreaction, but but you know, whatever. It's a card. game game and uh maybe maybe perhaps the, the room for funniness is still there or at least comedy in it but but i think really the second or the third and fourth scene of the card games show a little bit more about and lead us toward, down the road that you're describing of wondering what yeah if 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 weller freaks out to this level over cards what else what else was there and 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 that's true in his in his language as well the way he um, he, he there, there, there's an interesting dynamic on in the staging of the play where they're on this this uh, sunroom or porch or something with big French doors that are locked that are kind of uh, uh, affixed together so they can't get out the French doors there's one small door that they can get in and out 
and Weller frequently puts himself either between Fonzia or the exit or physically restrains her from leaving. Um, and, and so... And that increases the more and more you get into it. And so, so there's just all these clues that, um, that perhaps, perhaps exactly what you're saying, Jacob, perhaps there is uh, a greater degree of, uh, of unhealth than just freaking out at a card game that, that Weller, uh, hides or does, or doesn't grapple with. It refuses to look at in himself. Yeah, and you you sort of look at the language that he uses around losing these card games, and it, it's it's a little bit hard. We're talking about a script that's almost fifty years old, um, and that that and it's about people who are from an older generation, so they were born in the very early part of the twentieth century. So you know, language doesn't always translate generation to generation. But uh, if if you try to look at it, here's what I see. Right, um, shortly before. Before his first major explosion, uh, he does, he has another time where he snaps and sort of shouts. Um, and he says, uh, Jesus Christ, do you have to win all the goddamn time? I mean, can't you lose just once? And later on, he screams, bullshit, bullshit, Jesus Christ, look at that shit, Jesus Christ, I'm like, right? So he, he th- there's a, it, it, to me, I guess, I read it as almost petulant. There is a, a disbelief in someone else's um, success, right? There's a there's an accusation behind the success. Do you have to win all the time? Um, and and look, it's a game, right? So it's not just that she's succeeding; he's losing all the time. And I, and, and that there's part of that journey again. This sort of gets you part of the way towards understanding why he reacts so strongly. He loses hand after hand. It's sort of uh, unlikely for him to lose all this much. He's got he's got a temper, but but there seems to be some personal stakes there too, right? Beyond just the kind of person he is. Is he a kind of person that snaps and screams and shouts and smacks things all the time? I think we're meant to lead to believe, yes, that that would happen beyond just this moment. But I also wonder at, at any other sort of personal, I don't know, is there something else that, that causes this big of a reaction? Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, the, the action of the play perhaps doesn't, you know, there isn't an entry of one of the children into the scenes. There isn't an entry of one of the exes into the scenes to like kind of give us an out, outside perspective or even really a, a, a nurse character or something like that to really give us like some other lens to view these two between. But the, the wondering is still there nonetheless. And the wondering is there, I think we're meant to also wonder about Fonzia and her relationship with uh, willingness to engage her past as well. There's a great reversal again in the last couple pages of the script, right after Fonzia accuses Weller of uh, blaming luck for everything. She has a, a, a similar line where she says, I haven't had, or I'll admit when it comes to men, I've been very unlucky. And Weller grabs a hold of that and is like, oh, wait, you've been what? You've been unlucky? Could it be that you're not actually paying attention to the fact that you are self-righteous and can't ever lose at anything, apparently? And and so there is that that other, there's that other um, uh, theme within Fonzia, too, around the theme of luck that that she perhaps blames her relations, her, her fallen relationships with both her husband and her son on bad luck, on the bad luck of having met uh, people and especially the men in her life who are not great. 
um, and who she had to uh, kind of literally kick her husband to the curb, put all of his stuff out on the curb. She she kind of tells the story of how one night when he came home, she finally put everything out on the curb, and then she's forced to work the um, and and join the workforce as a result of that. So again, this is a play from the '70s about a generation that was quite old in the '70s. So there's there's some there's some uh, uh, time-related realities in it. Um, but but I, I wonder, too, about that, that, that role that she has of, of kind of not willing to question um, some of the things that maybe she did to drive at least her son away. Because we find out uh, partway through the play that her son is, in fact, not in Denver, but is, in fact, in town and just hasn't been coming to visit her for, for, the, many, for the couple weeks that we, we, we've uh, been witnessing their life in the play. Yeah, well, and, and, and you started all that, I think, with a really interesting point, uh, that which is that we don't ever get um, outside confirmation of any of these stories. And so as you try to make sense of Fonzia's story, I think hers is, it, to me, is more vague, um, a little bit less clear what the play is getting at in terms of for her relationships and the choices that she makes, because she certainly... Different than Weller, who seems to have, I I, I think, pretty clearly uh, uh, behaved in such a way that his family left him. Uh, Fonzia's case seems to be that, that she was in a really terrible situation, right? She describes it as the hell that she went through with this person that she married and got pregnant by and then quickly divorced shortly after that due to what, you know, what seems to be like an abusive situation. It, her her perspective is that he was an alcoholic who, uh, we don't we don't get much more detail than that, right? He came home drunk and that's why she threw him out. And what is what more to the story is there than that? We don't really no. And I don't know how much it really matters because the, the, to me, the knife that Weller twists in her at the end after she's made this bad luck accusation is less about trying to bring sort of a genuine revelation to the character of Fonzia as much as it is seeing uh, seeing Weller twist the knife uh, into her using that same thing that she used on him just pages ago. Yeah, yeah, that 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 sort of I mean at that point they're both <laughs> the 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 game is degenerated to the point that they're both like uh, uh visibly hostile towards each other and looking for any sort of thing to kind of uh, give them an edge in the game, but also give them the upper hand in the in the relationship against each other. So you really have, uh, in in a way that often alcohol is used in plays to remove inhibitions. The game has removed inhibitions by that point, and they're just yeah. Weller is looking for anything to kind of like jab back at her. Yeah, or almost like boxing. Like it, it's the the game becomes so competitive by the end that that such ferocity and hostile tension is held in the competitiveness surrounding the game that it feels like they're fighting like it f- it feels like this is the uh the the yelling back and forth at each other as you're lining up at a in a to, at the football line of scrimmage right right uh or snapping at each other as you're pushing in to make the shot in a game of bat- i mean it, it's there's a physic there's an almost physical level to the competitiveness or or maybe the best way to say it is this the kind of tension and um uh, stakes and engagement and frustration and aggression that gets layered into a game of gin 
by the end seems like the kind of thing that is only you only find in physical confrontations, whether that's in sports or in actually fighting, right? I mean, it feels like if they were both 50 years younger and on the street somewhere, they might be hashing it out with fists. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they're they, but that's not the situation that they're in, but it is that level of 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 engagement of of battle. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. You you uh, I watched a couple scenes from the Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore production in in preparation for the podcast, and it's it's great to see how much physicality you can put into laying down a card on a table, <laughs> like just the ferocity with which you can pound a card into the table. You must ferocity, think. yes, yeah, yeah. So so there's there's that yeah, but it's you. I agree. You don't necessarily think about it. For a card game, you think about it in terms of a boxing match or some sort of physical contest. Um, but but and and yet the using the uh, the cards as the battleground for that context um, really makes a it it, it it makes it it makes it um uh, uh, juxtaposed um and 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 really interesting in that way and also maybe perhaps allows us to hang on to just that to to the comedy of this script because in in a midst the uh the really seriousness of the themes that are being grappled with it's also like it's a it's a it's partially a comedy and the fact that that this this war is being waged between these two over a a a deck of cards keeps keeps some of that in perspective yeah like uh, there's so many great jokes just speaking of the comedy there's a great line where uh uh, Weller says something like, I, I, I will amuse you, and at our age, there's only one thing that that can mean. I'll get the playing cards. And of course, right. that's ba- it's basically a sex joke, right? I mean, it's, uh, and and all throughout, to, to, to kind of um, walk back a little bit of what we've said about Weller, he is sort of his character is this sort of curmudgeon-y, uh, really hard on other people, but almost from a place of kind of teasing humor until it's not. Right. Yeah, and that that line, like you you suddenly find yourself on the other side of the line, and he, and it, perhaps he does too. But as the audience, you 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 know, you could be laughing on one page, and then suddenly the line is crossed, and you're like, oh oh my, this is this is. This is something else. This is something uh, something else is happening here, which also leads to a really great kind of deductive experience where you have to, like, pay attention to your own sensibilities and, and wonder about when that line is crossed, when when there is actually more underneath the frustration at the card game um, that that is that is being hinted toward. Right. And and also, like, what are the other things that these two carry in? Because part of part of the exchange that we haven't talked about yet is that I do think these these characters are coming to this, let's call it the battleground of Jin. Um and and they are experiencing um I don't I don't really wanna land on helplessness because I don't think that's quite true. But there is a vulnerability to living in this home. And I think it is important that both of the characters are relatively new 
to this experience. Now, Fonzie is very new, but they and the characters make this point. It's not like Weller's been there for that much longer than her. He's, he's more old hat than she is, so there's a little bit of like Stranger Comes to Town sort of, but, but it's not like he's been there forever. They're both in this sort of transitional moment in life, and Weller has a, has a great monologue. Um, he tells this story of this, uh, this family coming to see them in coming to see a different person at the home basically with their I, I forget exactly if they were touring the home or whatever with the person in their family who's going to come live there the older person um, and they find Weller playing cards out on the porch and Weller says they basically look to uh, their person and say that that nice man there amuses himself playing cards and he really feels the pain he expresses the, the pain and the embarrassment of I'm going to quote here uh, uh, this woman defining my life in one sentence, or at least she thinks she is, that I'm supposed to sit there and agree with her. Yeah, yeah, that that's sort of like um, wanting to be seen, wanting to have some control over both their own lives and the narrative that other people are um, are saying about them is 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 being is being presented in this script with the theme of vulnerability that you talked about before and not just vulnerability i think also fear at that in some ways uh, one of one of the interviewers that i that i listened to before uh was talking with one of the cast about the fact that this play is uh in some ways two people living through a nightmare that we all have that we're going to get to uh, an advanced age and there's going to be no one around us at that time so these two are kind of living in that fear of of they've arrived here and they don't have any family around them no one's coming to visit them they they're 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 vulnerable they're starting to lose some control over their path and how are they going to negotiate that? How are they going to continue to uh, advocate for themselves when, when, especially when no one else is around? So these two sort of, yeah, relatively new people to this place um, try to uh, find some of that in each other. Yeah, like um, uh, they talk about the way that the employees at the home talk to the people who live there. They talk about what it's like to see people basically deteriorate, uh, fall apart physically and mentally and eventually die around you all the time. Um, the way that they're patronized, that's sort of basically the summary of the story that Weller tells about this family sort of watching him play cards and making these judgments about him amusing himself in that way. And so and so part of the play and probably part of the reason why it goes on to win the Pulitzer Prize is its depiction of uh, the the transitioning into that that vulnerability and so in some ways i guess a better way to say that is a critique of the way in which people who who are in this point in their lives get mistreated and patronized um and stereotyped in the midst of 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 a, of a loss filled season the other like scene in this play that really like is is uh beautiful and and hard and sad is the scene around dancing and uh uh, uh Fonzia comes in music is throughout this play which is an interesting element I don't know we'll we'll get to spend much time on it but music from the other room comes in frequently Fonzia comes into the room and is like w- w- wanting to dance in some way and uh Weller says yeah I've I used to be able to dance but I can't really anymore he walks with a limp and a cane throughout the play and and the scene happens where he where uh, Fonzia manages to get 
him to dance with her for a little bit. And there's a moment where they dance really fluidly and beautifully. And, and, and eventually it is overcome by the fact that Weller can't, can't dance for that long with, with his knee the way it is. And there's some significant pain that he expresses as a result of that. So yeah, this, this, this theme of being left alone, critiquing the system that leaves people alone in the midst of such a vulnerable time is, is a big theme of the play. And then there is sort of the unique personalities of Weller and Fonzia that layer themselves on top of that. Weller tries, I think, more than I would probably be comfortable with as an outside observer to make comparisons between his situation and Fonzia's. Again, I think there it's all sort of unclear on Fonzia's side, obviously, but I do think that we're led to believe she comes from an abusive situation with her former husband, and Weller tries to make a comparison Harrison there, whereas in his situation, he was probably the abuser or or at least uh, was verbally attacking the people in his family. Um, but he makes this uh, met this. He tells the story about a baseball player who nobody showed up for his funeral. And he says uh, this is a quote kind of makes you think that baseball player was something less than a warm, loving human being, doesn't it? Sort of a proof is in the pudding type argument. Nobody comes to visit you, Fonzia. Nobody. Uh, so you're alone. That that maybe tells us something about your personality, doesn't it, Fonzie? Now, that's sort of... I, I can't tell if he, at this point, really like understands that he's talking about himself, too. Right. Because like right. the play opens with him <laughs> sitting alone playing cards on stage, and he constantly talks about how he hates talking to anybody. Um, so you, there, there are these... Um, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I think that Fonzie and Weller are set up to be kind of outsider personalities on top of all these other pieces that sort of ostracize them based on the situation. One of them being that they're both poor at this point in their life. They're here on welfare, so neither of them can be at one of what you would imagine are the better homes. The quality of the home that they live in is a negotiation. So you have all these things that sort of entrap them in this situation. Um, and then on top of that, you have their personalities, which may be sort of outsider personalities personalities um in, kind of as who they are and on top of that of course is the game and the way that each other behaves with the game and 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 yeah all of it kind of comes together in this great flurry great melting pot that just like makes this really memorable really memorable play certainly by virtue of the game that is played but also by virtue of the themes and the kind of shared communal uh worry and and just thought around this moment of people's lives well let's uh in the short time we have left try to make some sense of a very open-ended ending to this play um, they're playing the game of gin. It's been growing increasingly hostile. Eventually, Weller is thinks that he's almost won, but just at the last moment, Fonzia wins again. And Weller begins this chant, gin. He just says, it's just the word, gin, gin. We've talked about the power of that word and that being one of the reasons why the game was selected for this play, I, I would imagine. But he says gin over, he yells gin over and over. He's smashing the table with his cane, smashing the table, smashing the table. Fonzia says, don't hit me, Weller, for God's sake. She calls for the nurse. He's screaming and smashing the table, gin, gin. Then here's the stage direction. He stands motionless in stunned silence. He stares at Fonzia, slowly turns and walks to the French doors. At the door, he pauses, shoulders slump. Then, as a sleepwalker, he exits. I think I read that earlier. Fonzia says, Weller. She wants to go after him, but doesn't. A long moment alone, nearly whispering, whimpering, Oh, no, she says. 
and slumps into the glider. What do you make of that? What is the oh no about? Uh, yeah. What is this as a what story is this a conclusion to? I mean, I don't know. It's a yeah. to me, it's a fascinating. It's very impactful having seen it live, and then it leaves you kind of shocked. Yeah, I mean the 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 the, the violence of smashing the table, the violence of of the the. Uh, yelling at the end of it and and then the juxta how juxtapose the difference is with the silence and the regret of of Fonzia um is is stark um and i don't and, and i think deliberately leaves it open um that we we've talked about some plays uh recently that that have long denouements um where the climax happens uh you know f- far before the end of the play i don't think that that's the case with this play we 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 experience the climax right next to the end of the play and have a very short denouement for us to like grapple with the reality of the world that is left um and and it's and it's i th- i think it's deliberately unsettling deliberately unclosure duh because <laughs> that's a word now um and and, uh, and and i think puts us on that edge of like this story doesn't necessarily um this story doesn't necessarily end but but sadly and perhaps even tragically this relationship has ended um i think there is a clarity of that and perhaps that's what the ono oh is about is the realization that you know this 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 th- these two have found each other and have continued to kind of try to figure out a way way to honor their connection even amidst all this pain but something has happened in this this last encounter that perhaps has ended that substantially and will not be able to come back from yeah i i do think you know you you always ask the question like why, what are we seeing and why today and and why is this game of gin the end of the play i think we are led to believe this is over now um and 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 so what what was the journey all along? I don't know. I, is it that the play ends because who Weller is has sort of finally come to real, full reality and proof um, that 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 this this that 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 we know that she knows really um, who he is and and by extension who he was with his family. I don't know. All that's just kind of conjecture about what may have happened in the past of this this fictional character but it it it's strange to me that the play ends with what what I would almost call like uh reverse redemption right it's not like we learn at the end of all this that he really is able to control his temper or that all along he's been rooting for Fonzie to win or that he he is able to celebrate her victory in the last I minute mean, it's 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 really he he loses control violently loses control and then slumps inside and thus the play ends so we sort of learn what is he unredeemable in the context of this relationship, I mean, is that what this story is? That's a sort of sad story. Yeah. That, like, can he have friends in his old age? No. He <laughs> cannot have friends. He is not. His personality is too mean, too abusive. He's uncontrolled. He cannot control himself enough to have a genuine relationship. Is that what this play is about? 
I, I mean, I don't know. Um, to, to wonder in another direction, Fonzia crosses some significant barriers that she has set up for herself in that last scene, too. She has uh, consistently been someone who um, does not uh, necessarily relish in the victory or rub his uh, rub his nose in the victory, which she kind of takes as a status of pride. Um, she, she also uh, is someone who consistently um, rebuffs uh, Weller for his use of language, his use of offensive language, at least to her. And she, throughout the scene, as as her ire is uh, slowly building, uh, uses some of the that similar languages. So she crosses lines that she has made for herself in the scene too. Um, so I wonder if if I mean it's it's nowhere it's it's not a happier ending. Either of these endings that we're talking about are both profoundly um shook endings um uh both these characters have having these realizations that whatever whatever lines they drew for themselves whatever roles they thought they had in their lives just changed um weller realizes that i i don't know i'm, I'm wildly speculating at this well, point, and, and why but, i think why, why is this explosion and violent altercation different from the one at the middle of the play I mean, he throws the table, yells, he screams, he throws his temper tantrum in the middle of the play, but that's not the end of the play, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps it's just the acceptance. The 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 the, the description that you read of Weller's um, walking away is an acceptance that he, he is not. I, I do think, I, here's what I think. I, I, if I were directing it or working on it in a longer context, I think there'd be a lot to play with. I don't by any means think this is like my final conclusion. But my instinct is to say that at the end of the play, Weller realizes something about himself all along. And it has to do with that accusation that just came pages earlier. It's not even an accusation. The revelation pages earlier about luck, right? About his insistence that he's had a run of bad luck and bad people in his life, which has left him here. And Fonzie is saying, maybe that was you making bad decisions and doing this to yourself. And that it is, it is one reading of the end of the play that in this final violent explosion, Weller learns, he realizes something that's true about himself that he hasn't realized for his whole life. I mean, again, why today? Why are we seeing Weller in the last several years of his life rather than 50 years earlier or 70 years or whatever, right? I mean, it seems like we are led to believe he something happens to him in this moment, which changes his perception of himself. And that, that that is what the slump into the nursing home is about. And that that's what Fonzia's reaction is to. Oh, no. What does that mean? Is he going to kill himself, for example? I don't know. I mean, that's joked about throughout the play. Um, and, and death is sort of bandied about in a lighthearted way. Is this going to... Uh, it, demonstrate that he really can't have any relationships and that the rest of his life is going to be spent in isolation um, and 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 he's just going to be alone as he was at the beginning of the play. Again, I don't know. All that all that to say, it's not happy. I mean, there's right. no... I don't think it's possible to read the end of this play as happy unless you read it from the lens of Fonzia escapes another abusive relationship. Sure. Right. Yeah. That there is a world where at this age they decide to sort of pair up and spend the last of their years together, but that that would be putting her back into an abusive situation with an abusive partner. And she manages to escape that this time. That's maybe the silver lining of all this. She's not going to be verbally abused by this guy playing gin another week. Right. Yep. 
Yeah, no, that's true. The, 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 the ending is, I think, deliberately open um, and deliberately leaves some of that uh, for the interpretation. We could continue talking more and more, and that's the beauty of this script, beauty of this play, is the generative conversations that continue to get had about it after the play closes. And uh, fortunately, though we are out of time for this podcast, we can continue having that conversation with all of you out there in podcast land. This is a play that I know some of you have seen, and perhaps some of you have been a part of either in the show or a part of the, uh, or, or in the acting of the show or in part of the running of the show. So we'd love to keep having this conversation with you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com find us on any of those sites we'd love to keep talking about the gin game with you absolutely if you've liked this script if you've liked any of our other scripts we encourage you to pass along the i guess they're not our scripts i shouldn't say that the conversations (laughs) that we've had about these wonderful scripts i encourage you to pass along the podcast to your family and friends they can find us on spotify apple podcasts google play or podbean if you also like us on facebook you'll see on your facebook feed every monday there's a link to the new episode will appear and you can click and play from there until next time, I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thanks for joining us for No Script the Podcast.